Welcome into the Power Alley. If you're familiar with the podcast, I'm your host, Pat Malacaro. With the 2020 season still on pause, we thought it was a good time to bring together the many voices of the Buffalo Bison's modern era for a virtual roundtable. Last week, we all got together and reminisced and shared some stories about our favorite experiences from nearly 40 years of Bison's baseball a conversation that was facilitated by the president of Rich Baseball Operations, Mike Butchkowski. It brought together the first voice of the Buffalo Bisons in the modern era, Pete Weber, who is currently the radio play-by-play voice of the Nashville Predators. Also, one of his partners from his time in Buffalo was Greg Brown. He's currently a broadcaster for the Pittsburgh Pirates. In addition to his time working with Pete from 1989 to 93, he was also part of Buffalo Bills broadcasts with legendary broadcaster Van Miller. Currently with the Cleveland Indians, Jim Rosenhouse served as the Bison's voice for all three championship seasons, including the latest one in 2004. He was followed by Ben Wagner, our friend at Sportsnet 590, the fan, who's the voice of the Toronto Blue Jays, and a constant in all of our lives since Bison baseball returned in the modern era. Duke McGuire has worked with all of us in his more than 40 years of experience working for the Bison's organization Duke joined us as well. It's time to hear the chat facilitated by our president of Rich Baseball Operations, Mike Butchkowski. Thanks, Pat. Yeah, I get to say I knew all you guys when, (laughs) before you all became big stars. But uh, you got rid of us. Yeah, thanks. I I couldn't (laughs) sabotage any of their careers. I I tried to sabotage it, but I I couldn't. You tried, you tried. (laughs) But uh, thanks. It's great, great to see you all on the on the screen. I hope everybody's doing okay and everybody's families are okay and safe. And uh, hopefully, we can uh, talk about some of your memories uh, with your time in Buffalo. And that's really where I wanted to start with the guys who are no longer here. So, excluding Duke and and Pat, uh, wanted to check in with you. I think Ben, start with you. And people always like to hear about when somebody leaves Buffalo and goes on to to do bigger and better things. What are the things you remember? about your time uh, either living in Buffalo or, or being a Bison's broadcaster? You know, that decade that Megan and I spent in Western New York, we had some of our greatest memories, both as a young couple kind of growing into our own, uh, the relationships that we had in the front office, outside the front office, I mean, literally relationships that we'll, we'll have for a lifetime. And, and it occurred to me as my final days in Buffalo were coming to an end that Western New York was the longest place that one we had ever lived together. But for for each of us, that was the longest place we had ever lived in one place. The house that we bought shortly after moving to Buffalo was our home. And I had lived there. I I lived in two houses when I was growing up. But I had lived in Buffalo's home longer than any other stop in in my life. And the same was for Megan. So uh, when you talk about being back in Buffalo and the emotions that kind of swell, we think about not only the professional life that we had, but we had the personal life. Now on the field, there were amazing things that happened. Um, uh, Unlike some of the other guys, you know, I changed affiliations. It seemed like every time I rolled out of bed. So the, the, the last couple of years with the Cleveland Indians were, were great. And you had some great players on those teams, the four year experiment with the New York Mets that we had, you know, that was enjoyable too, in a lot of ways. And then what really felt like home and fortunately continues to feel like home for me was the start of the 2013 season with the Toronto Blue Jays. But uh, when you think about, you know, the, the three affiliates, you think about the players that you get to know, the coaches, the, the managers, the people in player development that come through. And this is where baseball is just so great for me. It's about the relationships. And 
when you're in your travels in the international league or still in major league baseball, you know, you crisscross with these and it's, it's an automatic go-to for a story starter or it's a friendly hello because of that connection that we had in Buffalo. So a lot of those things, um, you know, the individual performances like watching Matt Haig and his incredible run to an MVP that year and runaway win. Um, those are some of the highlights, walk-off wins, three home run games, uh, the 2012 all-star game, which was an incredible experience just to be around Western New York in those couple of days. Those were, those were just uh, some of the highlights. I mean, the list is long, trust me. The list is long, but those are some of the highlights that come to mind. Thanks, Ben. Rosie, how about you? What do you think about? Now, you're, uh, you're one of a couple of people on this screen that came to Buffalo and, and married a Buffalo girl. Well, Booch, I, I was going to thank you for hiring me, but I should also thank you for hiring Carol because uh, we met at the ballpark. And I, I think some of my memories, our son was born in Buffalo, our first son, Nathan, and uh, he was born on Valentine's Day. So on Carol's maternity leave with the ball club was up, that was midway through that following season. And I mean, Nathan's early days were spent down in that ticket office in a back and play because uh, she'd come back in and work the games. And um, I'm not sure if you or Poe were more of a father figure than I was, but somehow he's turned out okay. So it all worked out in the end. Um, so, I mean, that, that would be top of mind, you know, just meeting uh, Carol and, and having our first son there. But obviously the, the three title teams were special uh, just for the people that you met. And, and each title was different. And I think we might get to get into that a little bit later. But um, I think at the time, because the Indians affiliation was so strong and they were going so well, uh, you really got the feeling that, I mean, those guys were out to win at every level because they were developing winning ball players at the, at the AAA level to help the big club when they would get into the postseason with, with the Indians. So um, I think there was, it wasn't a coincidence that those teams were so good. Um, and some of the best players in the game, a lot of times in, I think at AAA, you just hope that those players take that next step and, and make it to the major leagues. But you're talking some of the best players in the game, like Grady Sizemore and Victor Martinez and, and uh, players like that. So it was just a lot of fun to be around them. Quick story though, first real impact memory of, uh, of Buffalo is more my first game. And Pete Weber can attest to this. We're down in Nashville. And this gave me an idea of how popular Pete was and how big the shoes were going to be to fill. Uh, the organist there, was her name Diva? Diva Gammons. No yes, relation to Diva. She walks in the booth with a pie. And she's like, hey, where's Pete Weber? And I said, you know what, Pete, he's going to, he's going to do the Sabres. I'm the new Pete. Turned around with the pie, walked out of the booth. <laughs> he's gone, no introduction. So that gave me a pretty good idea of how you popular you were, Pete. But, uh, but Rosie, I tried to make it up on. to you. What's that? I tried to make it up to you. I had a pie delivered to you a few years later. <laughs> you did. You did. But, uh, you know, we still get back, uh, obviously, to see Carol's family and, um, Nathan's starting to look at schools now, and, and he says he's going to look in the Buffalo area just because of beef on weck, pizza, wings, all that kind of stuff, um, all part of the, the Buffalo experience. Thanks, Rosie. So, Greg, I think you are the broadcaster that has been away from Buffalo the longest. Um, wow. And so uh, you might have to really reach back to your memory to, to think about uh, what, you, what, uh, what you remember most about being in Buffalo. 
Well, you're right, and and you know my memory is so horrible, Booch. So I've got no chance. But uh, obviously, when when you made the point, uh, Rosie and I both met our our, our future wives uh, in Buffalo. But I won't thank you. I'll thank Bob and Mindy Rich. Uh, they hired my future wife as a salesperson, uh, and she and I actually shared. Pete, Barry Butel, shared the uh, sports office together. Uh, in fact, they had so many salespeople at GR that uh, she was thrown in the mix with us, these sports guys. And, and so she was uh, selling radio time on the air and uh, ended up uh, obviously uh, getting to know her very well. And then we went down to uh, Pittsburgh and, and married. And, and uh, she and I have been down here for about 26 years. And uh, so the as Rosie was talking, it, it really is, and it's, it's cliche-ish, but it's, it's the people it, it, that, that uh, I remember most. Not necessarily, you know, a, a pitch, a game, or that bat. I don't have the, the Pete Weber memory like that, but uh, I, I do know that uh, the people that I met uh, and continue to stay in touch with, uh, I will cherish uh, those memories and those relationships forever. Uh, before I forget the diva story, mine, Rosie, my encounter with her was actually um, even less cordial. Uh, she didn't offer me a, a pie, but uh, after one of the first games I did there at Greer Stadium, Pete and I were walking out uh, of the booth. I guess she had finished up and he introduced me to her. And her first question to me was, are you a Yankee? <laughs> and I'm thinking like, what, Yankee? Like, no, I'm, we're affiliated with the Pittsburgh Pirates. And she says, where were you born? I said, Washington, D.C. You're a Yankee. <laughs> so uh, that, that's what I remember about Diva. <laughs> uh, so many other memories on Diva, but uh, uh, Greg, you got to remember that, or rather, you got to remember, at least in my lifetime, the hottest temperature-wise wedding I ever attended was in 1994 in Pittsburgh, Greg and Kim's wedding. Oh my, yeah. Where there was one floor fan and uh, the interior temperature of the church must have been 110 degrees. <laughs> wasn't it fun though? I mean, wasn't it a yeah. blast? It well, especially <laughs> seeing your brother, Charlie. Yeah. <laughs> you saw him? Yes. <laughs> You're the only one. <laughs> Charlie Brown? Charlie yep. Brown. Yeah. Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown. So, Pete, what do you think about when you think about your time? I know you come back uh, either to when you do the games against the Sabres or our Hall of Fame, and you do visit a lot. But when you think back about your days as a broadcaster in Buffalo, what, what are the things that come to mind? Oh, my. All the things. Now, last night, Bud Bailey put together one of these roundtables with the people who had worked at WEBR together or at any one point. And so I, they might still be going. I dropped out after about 90 minutes or so uh, as the stories were really flowing last night. But I think about what it was like when I first came to town, and that was 1976. And we were covering – there's still an NBA team there then, remember. So we had the Braves, Bisons, Bills, and uh, there was some other team called the Sabres that we got uh, latched on to as well. But how, <clears throat> how strong – how fervent the fans of all those teams were. And uh, I, I was going over the other night, and I'll be putting it up on YouTube uh, at midnight tonight because tonight is the date of, uh, at least on the Buffalo calendar, May Day. It was uh, April 24th, 1993. And uh, that was when on the Buffalo calendar it became May Day. And those 
the strong feelings then transposed and came across all the sports. And that's the one thing I can never forget. The, the fans here. So I come to Nashville and they just suddenly and simultaneously got the NFL and the NHL. And uh, I don't see that emerging here yet. Great. Great. Appreciate those, those memories. I think I'm going to uh, now check in with Pat. Um, you're, you're definitely the only broadcaster in the history, the 130 plus year history of the Bisons who began his career as a bat boy for the Bison. <laughs> wow. So I wanted, I wanted to check in if you could give us a little bit about the years that you were a bat boy and some of the things you remember during those, those times. Yeah, for sure. It started in 1999, and I can I don't have a necessarily a photographic memory, but I kind of remember uh, a doubleheader against Rochester. Maybe it was my first game, uh, and you know the typical uh, pranks that the uh, guys or the clubhouse guys might plan. You asking you to get the the left-handed bats or get the lock for for the batter's box and things like that. So uh, you know it was it was fun things like that, and then all the way through high school. That's that's what got got me started in and working in baseball all the way through 2002, and just getting to meet some of the players. I mean, guys that uh, in the Cleveland Indians days had been in the World Series just a couple of years before, and just having conversations with them, and, and them getting to know me, and me getting to know them a little bit. Just, you know, for somebody who's in high school and, and a teenager, it was, it was pretty neat just to, to be able to interact with those guys, and, and really got me excited for the possibility of maybe working in sports in the future, and like, you know, just in, in my junior year in what, 2001, uh, way back then, uh, you know, I was getting ready for my, my prom and uh, the clubhouse manager was kidding me that I was taking the night off uh, for, from Bison's baseball to go to my prom. And, you know, that prompted a couple of the guys to, you know, just have a conversation with me about what they remembered about theirs or, you know, what I was, you know, things about mine that I was looking forward to and things like that. So just conversations just on a on a normal, normal level with some of these guys and just getting to know them or watching baseball with them on a Saturday afternoon as we were getting ready for, for, for a game. It's just, it, those are the things that I remember the most about those four years. So Duke, you, uh, we mentioned at the beginning, you're, you're the only one here that has worked with everybody, right? In the booth uh, with, with, uh, with all of our guests. Uh, what are some of the things you remember about, uh, Maybe not individually, and remember, we are we are recording this that will be viewed by fans. So, <laughs> what are some of the things you remember working with all these guys? Oh, it's unbelievable! Forty years a common denominator here, you know. It's, and not only these guys, but uh, Jim Brinson and the late great Clip Smith, and we'll even go back to Walt Sears and Frank Stewart. I mean, that's how long yeah. ago <laughs> it's the old international table days. So. Uh, it, it was great. I remember uh, Rosie kind of stole my thunder there with my uh, with my Nashville story there. But to make things to ex expand upon that, this poor guy, this is his first game doing as a Buffalo Bison. Up from a the kid from Knoxville, he's up from a ball. You know, he's coming up from a ball, and he's going to do his first Triple A game. And, and then first of all, he gets the, the pie pulled out from under him. But <laughs> then we go on the air, and we can't get the equipment to work. Now, you know, you know my technical skills. I got I got no shot. You know, he didn't even bother to ask me. So so we asked their guys. and Nobody could get this equipment to work. It's his first game, and he's, he's sweating. You know, he's bullets. You know, oh, my God, I'm going to get fired. I'm not even going to be able to do one game. I'm going to get fired. I can't get the game. So we wind up using a phone and passing the phone back and forth to broadcast the game. I said, well, at least I, I couldn't step on him that way. You know, I, I couldn't talk over him because of that. 
you had to hand me the phone back and forth. And this wasn't a cell phone. This was before cell phones. We had just an old, old line there that we passed back and forth, back and forth. I said, hey, you're off to a great start, kid. Hang in there. Hang with him. <laughs> Selby couldn't get you put together, Jim? Nobody could. Too bad. Too bad. <laughs> and then, uh, and, and, and that is, with, with my man, Ben Wagner there, I, you know, he, you know, he was here for 10, 11 years, you know, it was like, oh my goodness, you know, I'm killing this poor guy. You know, I just can't get a big league job. I'm killing him. <laughs> but I mean, again, it's not, it's not just what goes on in between the lines, you know, I mean, my, my daughter got married a couple of years ago and we were supposed to be in, uh, in uh charlotte and i i i at the wedding i turn around i look around and and there's bennett you know he, he for you know he forego the game in in charlotte and, and came to the wedding and i said oh my god I, how, how great was that that you know he took the night off to to come all the way back to buffalo to for the wedding that was that was awesome that was awesome yeah that was really good and then there's my man Greg Brown down there in the bottom of my screen down there, I, you know, and I'm like Greg Brown. I mean, this guy's, this guy's been gone for 27 years. I said, I can't remember what I had for breakfast yesterday. This guy wants to know what I had 27 years ago. But, but I can remember the story with the, with the tie with Bombi. Oh. They, 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 went, they were in the locker room, and they, and they cut the sleeves off of uh, Bombi's shirt. It was probably an old, uh, you know, one of those lumberjack shirts, you know, those plaid things that, you know, probably – Five ninety nine at Kmart or something like that. They cut the sleeves off Bombi's shirt, so Bombi says, "Oh, uh, he's not going to put up with that." So Greg Brown had probably a seventy five dollars silk tie that that paid the paid the price for that cutting the sleeves off that shirt. Well, actually, you know, Duke, it, 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 that's exactly what happened. But but for me, it was revenge because we were out at was it was Crawdads? Was that Crawdaddies. right? Crawdaddies. Yes, Crawdaddies. Uh, the night before. And, uh, that's what it was. Uh, I, I guess you know, he thought I was too dressed up. He said, you know, loosen up, Brown. You know, I had that tie. And I said, no, Bombi, it's a nice tie. But, you know, I'm out. Uh, and then he grabbed the, somehow somebody, a waitress or something, gave him a pair of scissors. And he cut this. As you said, it's the only tie I own. Uh, <laughs> Still. A month salary, uh, a, yeah, a month's salary. Uh, and, and he cut it in half. And so the next day, I'm furious. And he thought it was hilarious. And the next day, out during batting practice, I snuck into the office. I guess by then he was managing. Would he have been Scranton? Probably. Did he go from uh, Buffalo to Scranton? Or Indy? Oh, maybe Indy. I'm sorry, Indy. Okay, so it was Indy. So uh, he's out. It's during BP, and I went to the visitor manager's office. And now uh, he would say, Duke, that his wife, Hema, bought him that nice long sleeve flannel shirt, <laughs> uh, the nicest shirt he owned. And so I snuck in, I got a pair of scissors. And uh, cut the sleeves and and brought them and I and then I hung them, uh, attached them to the you know the, the windows. I don't know if they're still the same at the ballpark where they they open about a quarter of the way, right in, yes. in the broadcast mm -hmm. booth. Yes, yes. And I attached them to the levers and they were flapping in the wind. And uh, <laughs> I I was telling somebody to get Bombie's attention and I had binoculars on him. He's 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 the manager. He's behind the batting cage and some it might have been Booch. Said, hey, you know, Greg wants your attention. But he looks up and he sees these two sleeves flapping in the wind, <laughs> and his reaction was priceless. And so uh, that, that was a get-even moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like I said, uh, you know, twenty. My, my brain isn't, but I remember that. I remember that. That was hilarious when he cut the tie. And then there's my man Bubba Weber there, and not only did we, you know, get a chance to, to call 
Bartolo Colon's no hitter. I mean, that was that was a great day right there. I mean, he was on. Unhittable that day. I mean, he could have pitched three more innings and they weren't going to touch him. They didn't have anything close to resembling a base hit in that ball game. No. But I do remember the day when our, our good buddy Howard Kelman came into town <laughs> and we had uh, Dave Perry was playing the music for us back then. And Dave was a, a DJ at night as well. So hello there, Claudia Weber. She can't hear you, but I'll tell her you just said hello. Right. And she's got her bison shirt on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so Dave yeah, Perry was—he he, he did a lot of DJ work as well. So he had this, a smoke machine. So, <laughs> Bubba, being Bubba, runs a pipe from hey guys from uh, Dave Perry's booth into Howard's booth, and, and just a little opening in the roof with this little hose-like pipe, and <whistles> pumps in the smoke into the booth. And Howard thought the place was on fire. Yep. He's oh my god, there's a fire. He's on the air. Oh my god, there's a fire. I got And go. Buster Bison runs in. <laughs> <laughs> there was there was so much smoke and fog in that booth, which is right next to ours. I could not see Howard. I turned you know the glass partition. You couldn't see him. It was there's so much smoke in there. And the other thing Dave Perry did, he tapped in in the phone room into his broadcast. So we were able to record it. And then you hear Howard go, there appears to be a fire. <laughs> and here's the bison with a fire extinguisher. <laughs> the bison. <laughs> hey, anybody that has a heart attack at the stadium and still tries to do a game, I mean, this was this was this is nothing for Howard. Just a fire. Nothing, no big deal. No yeah. big deal. Great and stuff. Then, then, of course, last but not least, my man Pat Malacaro There, I mean, <laughs> who, who'd have thought I'd have been old enough to remember when the kid was the bat boy, and now he's going to come and do the games on the air? Oh my goodness! Here's he our son Max. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Rosie's intern with the Bison. I, I, I can remember him doing the scores after the game. Oof. Rosie would let him do the scores, and I'm thinking to myself, all right, here we go. Rosie's going to have some work to do. And so the man goes to that Syracuse, that funny little school there, Syracuse. They don't have any journalists come out there, no broadcasters come <laughs> out of that place. <laughs> so, sorry, Murph. <laughs> but uh, all of a sudden, here he, here he is. He went from uh, a bat boy trying to do the out-of-town scores to a, a smooth, polished young lad. I said, I said, I'm proud of this guy. He's doing all right. You know I'm just what? happy uh, Rosie didn't uh, take me off the air after those first couple. Uh, <laughs> you know what, Pat? Words. You kept coming back, man. <laughs> That's right. Back. That was the key. That's right. Good. <laughs> yeah. We used to sit, we used to be in the clubhouse and, and Pat's brother, Mikey, would be down there. And, and Pat would be running through the scores, and he would say, please shut him off. Yeah, <laughs> this is terrible. He's ruining our family name. <laughs> and then did he call our right Alan Bergevin about that? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I want to talk to uh, a few of you guys about your transition, your time, you know, when it came time to, to leave Buffalo. And, you know, and when you work in minor league baseball, we see it all the time with players and coaches. But it's been really cool when it has happened to you know to you guys when you when you left the Bisons went on to uh, to bigger things and Ben I think yours is pretty unique because not only did you uh, go to Toronto which is not that far from Buffalo obviously but we had been as you mentioned had been the Blue Jays affiliate and you had gotten to know a lot of people in in the organization and and uh, what 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 was that transition like for you. Well, after the spring training audition, which felt like broadcast survivor, you know, for those uh, six weeks, I just kept showing up. Like Rosie said, you just keep showing up until they take your badge away. Uh, so I just kept going to the ballpark and finally got the nod and got to opening day and through that. And I'll tell you what, 
Um, and I talked about this earlier, the relationships that you build and I think how you treat the people. And Buffalo is such an institution for me trying to do that. And the way that the tone was set by, well, I mean, really boots you um, and how you operate in that clubhouse and you treat them like major leaguers when they're down in AAA. And that experience over the course of all those teams that kind of rolled through got me prepared to walk into that first major league clubhouse uh, and have the confidence to do it at the same time. But the relationships that I had with those players, not only did it probably make it a lot easier, and it did, it made it a lot easier for me. It made it easier for them too. And they were just normal, casual conversations that you had from spring training. And then you got to opening day and through that first year. And, and it helped and help bridge the gap for the guys that I didn't know. You know, if I could have conversations in a single day for three or four players and they looked like they were embracing me, it made it a lot easier to go up to a guy like Josh Donaldson, who has his, you know, has, has his run-ins with the media and sometimes it can be pretty brash in his quotes. But that one gave me the confidence, but I think it gave me a little street cred at the same time where if there was a situation about something that I wanted to ask Josh about, that I could go up and, and do that. So, I mean... Buffalo for me was the foundation that clearly made it easier in the room, but it got those relationships started too with people in the Blue Jays front office, which, you know, you, you peel the pages back even further. One of the first executives that I met in baseball was Mark Shapiro when he was coming through in 2007. And then it was Ross Atkins coming through in the years that followed. You know, now these guys are leading the charge in Toronto. Um, and you got to know a ton of the Rovers and the coaches now that are on the major league staff. So there's no question, you know, Buffalo kind of teed it up for me to get comfortable and make the transition as smooth as possible over the last couple of years. Now with the Blue Jays. Great, great stuff. So Rosie, you mentioned, uh, and I thought maybe you would bring it up a little, uh, a little bit more forcefully. You are the only guy on this screen to have called a Buffalo Bisons championship and not just one. Three, right? Three championships while you were here. Well, Duke was there too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, I guess you're right, Duke. <laughs> Duke, you were there sometimes. <laughs> there. But you called. You probably called the final out, right? Of uh, of all of those, all of those games. What, what are, what are a memory or two, or your favorite memories of those championship years? Well, obviously, right place, right time, because you can't control how the teams you broadcast are. But, you know, everyone was, was completely different. Um, I think when I first got there, there was that cloud hanging over the Bisons and that they hadn't won a championship under the Rich family. And that was a big deal. And, and I think that's what made, made it special uh, to broadcast baseball in Buffalo because it, it meant a lot. And, and you felt that from players, too, the, the Tory Lavellos and the Jeff Mantos and, and players like that because they recognized how important it would be if they could win a title for Bob and Mindy. So the 97 championship was all about that. And, and that's what made that one special. Um, 98, I, I just remember being, you know, our first year in the International League. And even though you won the International League and that big, there was still, that was the first year of the AAA World Series. So you went on to something else after that. And then um, the one with Marty Brown in 04, uh, that was a lot of fun too, because we won it at home. We clinched the title at home, and that was, I don't know if you guys remember, but we were playing Richmond, and their ballpark was flooded, so all the games were in Buffalo, and I'll never forget the, the decisive game. Booch, uh, you, you made all the seats general admission because it wasn't our home game. It was, a, it was actually a home game for Richmond, 
uh, or was supposed to be. So uh, just the gates open and man, people just ran in to, to try and get the best seats because it was all GA and, and they won a game at home, which I think anytime major leagues, whatever sport it is where the team wins to title at home, that's pretty cool. And, and that was just a great, great night. So, you know, I think they were all special and but all different for, for various reasons. But speaking of games, a couple of games I wanted to talk to to Pete and Greg about that, that you guys were a part of. Greg, I'll, I'll start with you. 1990, uh, we finished tie with the Nashville Sounds, have to play a one-game playoff on one day's notice. Talk about craziness when the gates opened and 15 or 16,000 people flooded into that game. It turned out to be one of the one of the all-time games ever, an 18-inning game against Nashville. I wanted to get your thoughts on what uh, what you remember about that night. Well, like I said, Booch, my memory, as you know, is awful. But but uh, I could certainly not forget the fact that it was just the one day and how many people did show up. Uh, but then it, uh, the 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 fact that it just went on and on and on. Um, I, I seem to remember it started to drizzle. Uh, so, so players were not only having to battle uh, the, the fact that it was such an important game, it was 18 innings, but now the weather, the late hour. And uh, I always felt like Pete and GR uh, were ahead of their time, uh, Pete leading the way. And I still to this day marvel the fact that back then in 1990, somehow he found a way to have me become essentially a roving reporter in like the 17th and 18th innings. And I remember being down in by the dugout with like a wireless microphone and looking into the Bison dugout and just seeing the sheer exhaustion and determination of the players in that dugout. And just, uh, I, I just, it, it stands out for me as one of the, the, the top games I've ever broadcast, maybe for that reason alone, uh, the drive, the determination, and again, considering the conditions, how impressive that was. And then the, I'm proud of the fact that I thought it was just a great broadcast because of uh, uh, Pete, obviously, but the fact that we were down there kind of reporting uh, those conditions to the fans. Yeah, that's great. And then, Pete, we go a year, a year later, 1991, Bisons make the championship uh, series against the Denver Zephyrs, win the first uh, – Excuse me, I think my heart is acting up again. Yeah, the first two <laughs> – Win the first two games at home of a best of best of five. Go to Denver and needing to win one out of three, and uh, we we lose. I first game there was bad game. The Bison oh. got blown out. But now game four, you know, and I'll let you set the stage. But it's it's become known as the play of for how it ended. But uh, maybe the craziest game that I've ever seen live, and and maybe you too as well. But why don't you? Why don't you share your memories of, of that night at Mile High Stadium? Mile High Stadium. Uh, okay, so we're going in, just need to one victory to wrap it up and then move on to play Columbus in the association uh, or the interleague alliance playoff. Uh, so going into the ninth inning, you're down 9 nothing. You're being no hit. There had never been a nine-inning no-hitter in Mile High Stadium, and – as of this day, there still has not been one, and there never will be one now. <laughs> so it was uh, going the ninth inning. I believe the Zephyrs went through four pitchers there. Jeff Bannister led off with a base hit to break the uh, no-hit spell. And then before you know it, 32 minutes have passed, and the bases are filled. 
The uh, score is 9-6 Denver. And Greg Tubbs places a double down the line to the left field corner. And Booch and I have talked about this play a little bit over the course of the last few days. And it was uh, Mickey Brantley playing in left field who makes the throw into, why? We still don't know, Booch. Third baseman Charlie Montoyo to make the relay to the plate and Joe Kamak. As we all recall, Greg Edge was picking him up and laying him down as he goes around the bases from first base. And then he slides in, and I was calling. The throw is not in. Oh, they called him out. And then I went a little bit more explosive uh, after all of that about that. Uh, but Greg Edge's foot was on the plate. Joe Kamak tied him or tagged him up on the letters. So I know that Joe Kamak still, because we had him, he was in Buffalo for somebody's Hall of Fame induction. And he says, no, I got him. I got him. But that was the most incredible. 32 minutes later, after you're being no hit and roundly shut out, the tying run was called out. And I'm just going to say called out at home plate. And not that I hold a grudge uh, by Scott Potter. He called him out. And then we have to go on to game five. And uh, Rick Reed did not have a good outing, hurt his hip early on. And Cal Eldred and the Zephyrs prevail and win that championship after being down two games to none. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, crazy. That was crazy. Bellani rushed out on the field. He got he got he checked and he got thrown out for the next game. It yeah. was it was mayhem. <laughs> it was bedlam. Yep. Yes, yes it, was. it certainly was. I mean, that was and and that game, I mean, when you when you think about it, uh, and I said that on the original call, I didn't think Greg Edge had beaten the throw to first base on his what turned out to be an infield hit and prolong the inning and stop the third out from being registered. But then the one that was called the third out still uh, boils my insides. I'll put it back. <laughs> yeah, you know, that play, that play still sticks out in Charlie Montoyo's mind. We, you know, old yeah. guys and broadcasters, we sit here and chat about it. But when we went to Denver last year with the Blue Jays in interleague play, we're rolling from the airport and we see mile, well, the new mile high, but yeah. you know, Charlie Montoya looks back in the bus and he said, right there, the play, he, he points at me in the back of the bus, <laughs> the play, wow. the play. And, and Charlie Montoya, I texted with him earlier this week and I said, you know, you played most of your, your time in Denver at shortstop. That was a rare night that he was playing at third base. Yeah. And he said, yeah, I end up with the ball because the shortstop didn't want to go get it. So I'm like, okay it's my ball and he makes this great throw to the plate and obviously it's one of those plays that live in in hot buffalo sports fans to this day but when uh when charlie was rolling past the new mile high that came up and then our last day in denver there is a a denver sports and very baseball centric hall of fame kind of yeah, yeah. just off the backside of of now course field and Charlie wanted to go over and then there's this shrine to the old Zephyr teams that played in mile high stadium. And they, you know, they've got the a tribute to Joey Meyer up there, but the play still stands out and Charlie to this day will reminisce about it. And it's just a rare occurrence, you know, and I know, and Pat and I had talked about this earlier in the week too, was he playing shortstop or was he playing third base? And lo and behold, it was third base. And, and a he started at third. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One of only like 15 games, maybe that year. Yeah, it was only a handful, and that's why I had to yeah. double-check because I've seen it reported both ways, where he had a lot of time at short, but very few games at third base. And timing is everything, as Rosie said earlier. You, you know, and there's Charlie in the middle of a, of a play that now lives in, in AAA baseball history. Yeah, Charlie, I, I finally 
told Pete, I'm going to reach out to him. And he told me the same thing. Pat Listash was the shortstop. Right. And he just didn't react. He just stood there. Yeah. So Charlie said he just went and got the ball and, uh, and made the throw. And in one of his email replies to me, Charlie Monteau actually attaches the video clip. Oh. <laughs> and then asked me, he said, I only have a clip. Do you have the whole, the whole, the whole game? And I said, no, I think we smashed that whole game. <laughs> I can't believe you're emailing that to me. <laughs> well, we'll just ask the Boston Red Sox ex-video guy. Maybe he has. <laughs> oh, yeah. Exactly. They got more time than we do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Duke, you had mentioned earlier, and I was going to ask you about your favorite game or your favorite game memory. You mentioned Bartolo Colon. Is that? Is that your top memory? Yeah, that was awesome right there. But and and, and I think Ben hit a hit, hit something. Up. Well, plus a couple of a couple of the All Star games were great too. And Marty Brown playing in one of those All Star games. And uh, but what was really awesome was when Ben and I were we were behind the uh, the first baseman screen during the home run derby, and we were like uh, probably seventy five feet away from these hitters, <clears throat> and they, that big Jimenez came up for us, and that big lefty. And we're over there, and he's just hitting rockets. And, I mean, they're smoked, and they're flying over our heads. They're flying into the screen. It, it's, it is like this guy is unbelievable. And, and uh, that was when, when Scooch went deep there to, to, to win the home run derby championship. That was pretty cool right there, and that, that, was, that was awesome. And the, uh, the, the Jeff Manto three, run, three home run game was pretty cool, too, because, you know, he was such a, such a good guy. He's such a classy guy. And then. Of course, the game that Pat and I got to do this past season, when uh, when TJ Zweig threw the threw the no hitter in Rochester, that was that was pretty cool, just because of the great catch with two outs in the or with one out in the ninth, and then uh, then just coming off the off the field, the fans from Rochester even were giving him a standing ovation, and I and I thought that was a uh, that was pretty classy move right there. It was a, it was a it was an awesome game to do. It was it was great. It was yeah. outstanding, but that one that. Pete and I did with Bartolo Cologne. It was it was unbelievable. I mean, like I said, they they didn't have anything that resembled it. I don't even think they hit a ball hard all day long. Oh. I mean, and then the last out was a little blooper to right. I'm I'm watching the right field. I'm going, oh my god, he's not going to get it. He's not going to get. It. And then the second baseman goes back and made a pretty routine play. And I go, take it away, Bubba. Yeah, <laughs> that was great. Well, that was incredible. That was a good timing for me to be able to do that too, because by that time, I was doing the Sabers full time and was just doing that game for Empire. Yeah, yeah, it was on TV. It was on an Empire game. Yeah, Good stuff. Uh, that that was uh, that was just a few of the memories. There, there's been so many. I mean, there's some of that stuff back in the old rock pile that went on. That, that was unbelievable. Yeah, the, the, the late great, the legendary Rodney Craig. He's he's uh, he's he's going. Uh, hey, look at man. I think these umpires be giving me a bad time up there. He says, "I'm going to look up there and you let me know if that pitch is inside or outside." He says. Uh, <laughs> He wanted me to let him know if, they, if the guy called a strike, if he looked up and he wanted me to tell him if it was a strike or a ball inside or outside. He, he was unbelievable. The late, great Rodney Craig. <laughs> he was a yeah. beauty. Yeah. Oh, God. And so, then Ben, the, I was – uh... Yeah, excuse me, one more time. One more thing with Rodney. He, he, got, he got ejected from the ball game, and he, he went up to the clubhouse – and he put the Buster uniform on and came back on the field and started at the umpire in the Buster uniform. It's beautiful. There you go, boys. There's the butcher, the butcher, Rodney, and Buster. Oh my God. <laughs> Unbelievable. From nineteen eighty six at the rock pile. And that was another one of the great stories, right? When uh, we had had that little problem 
uh, with Otis Nixon in 87. And My man. He was out for a while, yeah. And Rodney that year was in Rochester. And he calls Mike Bellani. He wants to look after his my main man, uh, Otis, Otis Nixon. And Mike goes, well, you know, uh, he got arrested, uh, Rodney. Well, we were never that close. Give him up. <laughs> so, Ben, I was going to ask you, and in, in kind of unique situation, Duke, who's, you know, been around for 40-something years around the Bisons, and every time we, we hired a new uh, broadcaster to come in, I'd talk about Duke and and uh, everybody would say, well, what's he like? And I, Duke, I would just say, you know what? You're going to have to experience it. I, you know, <laughs> you're just going to have to go through it. It's hard to describe Duke's style and, and what he brings to the broadcast. But, uh, Ben, I was just wondering if you had some, some cool memories to share about me, maybe meeting Duke or uh, something that happened during one of the games. I'm sorry, this is still being recorded, right? Yes, yes it is. <laughs> uh, that changes everything, guys. Uh, <laughs> listen, and, and I think that speaks volumes, right? Because it's the fun that you have while you're on the air. It's the fun that you have in the experiences being off the air. Uh, you know, you go through the wars of riding those buses and, you know, do always was looking forward to that long haul to Pawtucket, uh, you know, so that was always an experience. Uh, yeah, that was <laughs> especially fun. those two gamers, you know, back and forth when we go to Pawtucket for two games and then turn around and come right back to Buffalo. Uh, one of the more unique, like just overall trips that we got to do together, actually, Pat was alongside for that too, was the game at Fenway Park. And mm -hmm. that was a really, really cool experience with the futures at Fenway. By luck, the Bisons got selected to be part of that game. And, you know, it was just a, it was a wild day. And I think that was one of the more fun days that we've had in the broadcast booth. Um, just thinking about the overall experiences and our trips and our travels, uh, you know, but on the air with Duke, you immediately recognize that his instincts within the game and how he looks at the game are incredible. And I learned more just by sitting next to Duke McGuire for a decade than, than anything that I could have experienced, you know, taking under like my own task, you know, trying to learn about the game or read about the game or research the game. I just had to listen to what Duke was, was looking at, how he was describing it and, and the things that go through your mind as a broadcaster. And I mean, there's things that I institute today, you know, because I, I heard Duke and I, they just replayed the game in 2015 where, Russell Martin threw the ball back. It goes off Shin Tzu Chu's bat. That's a live ball. And I remember a game. This, is, this had to, It was definitely in the Indians' affiliation. But there was a ball that got thrown back, and it went off the guy's bat, and there was nobody on base. Big, big sticking point to how it's varying from the Bisons versus, you know, what happened with the Blue Jays and the Texas Rangers. But Duke on the air said, because he knows the game, he knows the rules, he goes, Fortunate nobody was on base there because that's a live ball. So I'm living that moment watching a great playoff game, and that sticks in the back of my mind. That's a live ball. So those are the kind of things that Duke will say on the air that will literally stick with you for a lifetime, whether it's rules-related, whether it's strategy-related. Uh, the instincts are great. Um, the person is even better than that. You, you know, for two people that moved to Western New York and didn't know anybody, we spent more Christmas Eves with the McGuire family than we did with our own family. And that was by the kindness of Duke first and foremost and Mary and the girls welcoming us in and they're now growing family continuing to welcome us in. 
And, you know, for the most part, those Christmas Eve's were very enjoyable. There was one that was a little shaky by the end. <laughs> Uncle uh, Kevin. No, Uncle Kevin got me good. And, uh, you know, so again, it's about the people and uh, just one funny on-air story. Mar 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 Margie, Margaret Russo was going through the office and she was changing chairs. All these stinking chairs, you know, this, this, this whole fiasco of upgrading chairs in the office, whatever. So she ends up with this chair nobody likes. The big executive, nice leather chair. Ben, take this up to the broadcast booth. It's huge. Chair. I said, I don't I, you know, it's, it's big. I don't know if anybody's going to like it. So I, whatever. I roll it upstairs. I put it next to Duke's station there in the radio booth. Well, this, this big executive chair, you know, it's got the lock on the bottom. Duke puts his roster over here to the side. And as he's leaning back in this new chair, brand new chair, and to check a roster, the hinge on the bottom that locked the chair together, like, opened up. Duke goes... But over tea kettle on the air, and you hear the clumping, 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 clumping around, coming around as he's back there, and he's losing it. I've lost it on the air, and then here the next day, what does Pat Malacaro do? He rolls in with a roll of caution tape, and we roll it over to the chair. And my hard hat from all and, and my hard hat. <laughs> yeah, that's that's. <laughs> <laughs> these moments, these moments are irreplaceable, you know, and yeah. you, you just have to live them. You just have to live them and you hope you're surrounded by great and great, great people to do it. And we certainly have been. It's a great lead in for Greg Brown because uh, I, you know, the time I remember when Greg was with Pete, Greg was a young broadcaster, you know, trying to make his way and feel his way through it. And we've mentioned a few of the pranks that Pete had played on other announcers, but Greg, I, I remember a few. I think that you were the object of, uh, of some of Pete's pranks. Is there are there any that you can share with us? That that's there lies the rub. That's the problem with this. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, the one I guess I could clean up a little bit is uh, you know he, he's he's so to this day again so far ahead of his time. He, it, technically speaking, this guy knew absolutely everything, and I. He tried to, and I did eventually learn. He, he taught me how to, to get us on the air and that kind of thing. But um, I, I was so naive. I was unaware that uh, he could press a button and he could speak to me in my headset without it going on the air. Uh, so I, I, I'm unaware of this. And uh, there was a pause in a game. I'm supposed to be reading scores, I guess, and my mind had wandered. I guess the Bisons were up or down by by a bunch maybe and uh, uh anyway and and uh there's a pause in the action and all of a sudden i hear which i believe is on the air well you're gonna read the scores you silly son of a beep <laughs> and i turned and looked at him and he's looking at me and i'm like this guy's just gonna get fired he's you he can't say that on the air and i go uh, uh, uh and i read some scores and then again, he 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 did that several times uh, throughout the game. He'd, he'd say something else before I finally he chuckled, and I realized uh, that that he was not on the air. But but for a good couple of innings one night, I thought that was it for Pete Weber. <laughs> Got promoted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> then you learned your lesson. And you got me back, and we won't tell that story. <laughs> no. no, no, we will not. <laughs> no, we can't tell that. No, one. we can't tell that one. So, Rosie, I wanted to uh, check with you. Uh, in the minor leagues, uh, all of you guys 
when you were when you were here, you had other duties, right? Everybody was whether it was at GR where you guys were doing work and covering sports and and uh, and and Ben helping out with other duties and Pat now doing it. But, uh, Rosie, you were unique in that I don't know whose idea it was, but we decided that you, in addition to the broadcaster, would make a great. For for what the big leagues have a traveling secretary. It so was your idea. You not, only you, not only were you in charge of the broadcast, but you had to do all the travel and the buses and the planes and the hotels and all the things that come with that. Are you? Do you have any any uh, great stories or fun stories you can share about those duties? And well, Ben rattled off all those nice things about Duke, and they are all true, absolutely true. <laughs> but the saving grace for me was when Scott Lesher called one night in the seventh inning and we're ready to leave for a road trip after the game. And he's like, hey, there's no buses here. What are you going to do about it? Oh. And, and I was like, Duke, take over, man. I got to call <laughs> bus companies and find out where the bus is. But um, you know what? The only – the one area I struggled with, um, you have to be nice to the – as Ben was saying, you got to build those nice relationships with the players – from a broadcaster standpoint for interviews and background information and all that. But sometimes for lack of a better term, you gotta be a prick when you're the traveling secretary guy, because they're trying, you know, some, some guys are trying to get away with everything. And the one area that I struggled with was roommates on the road. And the way it worked, everybody was in a double room. They had a roommate. If you wanted a single room, you had to pay for the other half of the room. But there was always that odd guy or the, the odd room at the end. It never worked out evenly. So there'd be one guy who you'd take care of, a veteran guy. If he was, if there was a single to be had, you'd give it to the veteran guy. Well, from, if we were leaving on a Thursday, starting Sunday, I'd, I'd start gathering that rooming list and I'd be nervous about it because there'd always be two or three guys that didn't want to room together and you didn't want to give them the single. Uh, probably the best one was uh, Brandon Phillips and Ernie Young did not like each other. Well, we get to Syracuse one night, and I had it all squared away. Everything was set. They weren't going to room together. Well, it turns out somebody got called up, so those two were put in the same room. And we're checking in at 3 in the morning, and I hear yelling down the hall, Brandon Phillips, why am I in a room with Ernie Young? And he's at the top of his wow. lungs. It's a full hotel. This is why I would get nervous on Sunday for a Thursday. <laughs> he um, – we eventually worked it out, and I found out why I didn't like Ernie walked around naked all the time, apparently, and Brandon Because <laughs> I asked him, I said, why don't you like Ernie? They both seem like friendly guys. <laughs> um, and then the other one was uh, we had a, a day game in Norfolk on a getaway day, and usually we would just wait and get out of there the next morning. So in case there was a rain delay or extra innings, you didn't have to worry about chasing the flight. Well, we, we rolled the dice. Five o'clock flight for a noon game in Norfolk. Sure enough, rain delay. Two, two rain delays. And I think it was either you or Mr. Dandies was calling U.S. Airways to hold the flight. We go scramble. Game ends at like four, and we have a five o'clock flight. We're racing to the airport, and all of us got on the plane, I think, except for Nick Paparesta, the trainer. And I was the last one before Nick, and I'm staring, looking at the gate attendant, and she goes, I said, we got one more guy. We can make it. She goes, I have to shut the door. I said, come on, one more guy. She goes, you got 10 seconds to make a decision. You either get on this plane or you're going with the guy who's still not here yet. 
I jumped on the plane and wore it from Nick Paparesta for a week for that. <laughs> he, had to, he got home the next morning and just made it back in time and all that kind of stuff. So those were just some of the things. And, and again, Duke was on most of those games. And, and thank God, because when something went wrong, I was able to, to call a bus company or an airline or call you, Booch, and, and uh, Duke could handle the game. Reminds That's me, Greg Brown, how about that trip back from Omaha to Buffalo? Yeah, uh, it, I two different planes. I, yeah, I don't know how many guys had to leave for, for, uh, on our own. I and two or three other players, and uh, of course, back then you had to obviously go through uh, uh, different procedures than you do now. It was it was easier to to travel through airports, but for some reason we all had different connecting flights. But the point being that I had my my seat, and uh, I I got onto the plane, and about halfway down the plane. I stop and there's someone in my seat and I'm miserable that we had to get up real early that day that we had to leave for whatever reason. We had to get out of there. I'm just in a bad mood. And I just stand there in the middle of the aisle. Most of the people have already gotten their seats and the uh, flight attendant comes toward me, sir, can I help you? I said, yep, somebody's in my seat. And she goes, oh, I'm sorry. She said, can I see your ticket? And she goes, sir, you're headed to Atlanta on this, on this, this, this flight is headed to Atlanta your ticket is for Buffalo. I had gotten on the wrong plane and uh, obviously, you know, just stuff you couldn't do now, but uh, I'd gotten on the wrong plane, was angry that someone was in my seat. Imagine that today. That's not going to happen, of course. Right. Right. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I think what uh, we want to do to kind of uh, wrap this up, we want to have a little bit of a kind of a lightning round with everybody. And uh, the question's simple. It want everybody else. Pat, I'll start with you. Um, you know your favorite player, manager, uh, person that you've uh, that you've come in contact with in the game, and maybe a brief a brief reason why. Dave Roberts immediately comes to mind, just because of how good of a person he is off the field as he is on. Great player in his own right, but you know somebody when I talk about just having conversations with people, um, he'd be somebody I'd have post game dinner with and just kind of just shoot the breeze. So uh, for somebody like that, you know, for a couple of years to just sit and chat with him and talk baseball, talk other things. Uh, it still sticks with me this day. And I think we see that with him as the Dodger manager and, and all that his conversations they'll have through the media, just a great person overall and somebody um, you don't forget. That's great. Ben, how about you? Wow. I think the list is long, right? Um, yeah. You know, you think about the guys that you're really entertained by Wally Backman being a manager in Buffalo was a extremely entertaining from some of the on-field antics to the day that we were in Charlotte at the old dump. He threw a pack of firecrackers into the training room and just to liven up the party. I mean, it's, we, uh, listen, it was a long night the night before it was a Sunday afternoon game and people were kind of like just drudging through it and trying to clear the fog. He threw a break of firecrackers into the training room. And the trainer at the time, Joe Golia, who was a little sensitive about some things, he <laughs> lost it. And then Wally did his job because then everybody was laughing in the clubhouse and having a good time. Um, you know, so those are some of the antics that happened. Uh, and that was good. That was always entertaining. Uh, you know, Bobby Meacham to this day is just a great human being and just somebody that I love talking about baseball with and old time baseball and he appreciates kind of the new wave of things. And now he's with the Philadelphia Phillies and, and he's loving his situation there. One of the players that still to this day, I enjoy talking with on a number of different levels is Kevin Pillar. And you think about where KP went as a player as kind of this rising prospect that had to 
get him, get his own name on the prospect list where the organization didn't have much invested in him. He had to play his way onto every roster and try to cement himself as a big leaguer. He had some bumps with Gibby along the way, and he, you know, as good as the stories are about guys going to the big leagues, um, there's the other side of it when they come back from the big leagues. Uh, you know, Kevin Pillar, he, he had to sulk a little bit, and where he was able to rebound from that and be one of the more exciting players in Buffalo. But Valentino Pascucci, Matt Harvey, I mean, those, those guys were, were guys that you just look forward to seeing at the ballpark every day when the, when the lights went on. Right. Duke, I know there's been a lot. You've mentioned a few already, but uh, any others come to mind? Uh, I, I, you know, manager-wise, I, I love Bombi, Mark Bombardi. He was great. He was absolutely hilarious. And, and Marty Brown, I mean, we, Rosie knows we had, we had a lot of fun with those two guys. I had a lot of fun with, with those guys. And, uh, uh, I mean, we had a lot of great managers. Ben hit it right. Bobby Meacham, true gentleman. I mean, there, there's been a, a lot of great managers, but as far as having a lot of fun, Mark Bombard and and, uh, and Marty Brown are two classics. And uh, player-wise, I think uh, again, there's there's so many good good guys and so many good players. But but uh, Jeff Manto, um, not only was he having a great season, but he just got it. You know, there you know he was a guy that had played in the big leagues and uh, he'd made a little money in the game, and he, he was always one of those guys that would uh, take care of the some of the younger guys that didn't, didn't have a lot of money. He'd, uh, you know, he'd always make sure that those guys were taken care of, you know, you go out and, uh, you know, he's, he's buying a couple of rounds for these guys. And uh, he, he was just a really classy guy. And he, he was another guy who was a lot of fun. Uh, I can remember one time, just a quick story. We were, we were, we were in uh, Norfolk and uh, we got rained out of an afternoon game. So about 10 guys would go to Hooters and we're there all. At the wings. Yeah. Great wings. Great wings. <laughs> <laughs> We had a couple of guys, David Miller and James Betzel. Betzel? Betzel? Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're two, two big, strong, strapping, good-looking guys, you know. And so Manto sets it up where he gets a couple of the Hooter girls. He says, look, take these two guys in the back over here and, and chat them up a little bit and make them think they're doing real good. So they get them in the back. We bolt on the check. They got stuck with the bill. We were there all afternoon. We bolted. They got stuck with the tab. But then, of course, Mantle made it good all the next day. But it was that was absolutely hilarious right there. So for, for my money, that guy, he, he's, he's the best right there, Jeff Mantle. Rosie, how about you? <laughs> I'm stuck on Dukes. I mean, Mantle, player-wise, easily. Um, you know, I don't think it's any accident. He, and I don't think he spent a full season from start to finish with, with the Bisons. But he so. was there for parts of quite a few. And we started winning titles when he showed up. And I don't think that's a coincidence at all. Uh, whether he was here at the end or not, uh, he left a, a real good impression. And uh, it's someone you could always talk baseball with post game. Uh, my favorite Duke, you know, you go out down to the hotel bar, have a couple of beers. He would order pizza from a takeout pizza delivery place. And you think, oh, great, we're going to have some pizza. Uh uh. The pizza would come, boom. Jeff Manto was up to his room. He'd have the entire pizza to himself. And there was no <laughs> negotiating. Hey, can you flip us a slice? Nope. He was nope. He'd always pull the Irish exit, no matter where we were. He always was just <laughs> He's like the Phantom, you know. He's there one second, you turn around, he's gone. Yeah, and and fun wise, manager wise, fun easily. Marty Brown. Um, I mean, the guy liked his cold beer, but he he worked harder than anybody, no matter what happened, you know, along the way. And I, I think my lasting memory of that, we were short a bullpen catcher for a while, and Marty would go down during the game 
you'd see our manager in the bullpen warming up pitchers with the shin guards on. And it kind of came to, I don't think he was supposed to be doing it, but it came to the forefront when we had an on-field brawl in Louisville one afternoon. And he's out there running around trying to break things up with shin guards on, catcher's mask and all that kind of stuff. Um, he was just a one of a kind. And um, I think all the managers, as fortunate when I was there, they, they were all, you know, obviously solid managers in their own way. But Jeff Dat's still uh, one of my favorites as being a, just a salt-of-the-earth baseball guy. Yeah, that's great. Greg, I know your years were Pittsburgh Pirate years way back. Uh, any names that uh, you still think about or still, uh, when you look back on your time, remember especially? Well, managers, I'll, I'll go with Bombi. <clears throat> He's the, the, the best. Uh, and uh, to this day, I consider him a great friend. He was a lot of fun. He was a great baseball man, too. And, and uh, I think about that a lot, that he, he never got the break because he never fit the part. I think, unfortunately, in this day and age in the big leagues, I think you see almost uh, it's almost robotic. Uh, it, it, it's like they have a cutout of what the guy is supposed to look like and the way he's supposed to act. Bombi had fun. Uh, and, and, but, but was serious about winning and, and the game of baseball. Terry Collins was my other uh, manager that I'd, I'd say are uh, considered a good friend and, and was also a lot of fun, a little more serious than Bombi. But the players, Booch, long list, of course, and you're right, I got to know them. Uh, John Wayner not only became a, a good friend while watching him play in Buffalo. Here's a Pittsburgh guy, grew up a Pirate fan, sports fan, and then goes on to play in the big leagues, and now he's one of my broadcast partners. So kind of ironic. And Kevin Young uh, was to do some broadcast work this year, hopefully still will with the Pirates, uh, but got to know Kevin and all those young guys that came to the big leagues, Carlos Garcia, uh, uh, Tom Prince, Rick Reed, Dorn Taylor was a great guy, on and on and on. Jeff Whitey Richardson, he was so much fun and uh, such a joy. We, we had him do a weekly show with us, a pregame show. Uh, so yeah, the, the list goes on and on. Just great, great fun, uh, great, great people. Bubba, you got the last uh, the last memory here, the last word on your favorite uh, oh, wow. players or managers. There's, there's too many years there, but let's just say the guys that stick out to me, uh, John Bowles, uh, Dirty Al Gallagher, uh, <laughs> Terry Collins, without question, and Bombi. The players, uh, I've guys that I'm still in contact with, Dave Clark. Uh, we text a lot. Uh, I see him. We go out uh, a couple times. We've been in playoff series with Anaheim, and all of a sudden the Tigers are there. Uh, we had one uh, winter Olympic break, and I went down to Lakeland, and there that was the day he was going to go over all of his signs. So we conferred on that with the players for the year. But the personality that comes out the most to me is one Venezuelan, Carlos Ledesma, the longtime Bison trainer who helped us participate in one of the greatest on-air stunts of all time. It was the, oh. it was the July 4th telecast. <laughs> and uh, he had just, he, he was a, a, a regular uh. jogger who had to have his, uh, his MP3 player. And it had broken uh, the day beforehand. So I said, Carlos, I know you're going to be the on-the-field television guest of John DeTola tomorrow night <laughs> to talk to him about becoming finally U.S. citizen. And I said, if you can just say one thing, just say in the middle of it, somebody broke wind. And I meant for him to say it that way. So the concept stuck in his mind. And then 
Where our guest here, the RC Cole, the seventh inning stretch is longtime Bison trainer, Carlos Ledesma. Carlos, I know you're a native of Venezuela, but you became a U.S. citizen. Can you tell us why? So he begins this rambling thing. Well, many of my friends here, they are U.S. citizens. I want to be with them, Kevin Hodge and so on. And he goes, whoa, someone pollute the air. <laughs> right, right in the middle of the interview. And oh, I thought John geez. DeTola was going to have a cardiac uh, <laughs> event at that point in time. And uh, who was with me then? Uh, but oh. Mindy's brother, David, was doing the color with me at that point in time. And he just lost it on the air right away. Uh, so, yeah, Carlos Ledesma. And he could come up with things. And Greg can remember as well a little uh, exchange we had one night at the clubhouse in Oklahoma City which is unfit for family consumption. But uh, <laughs> without any question, the story he told, it was quite colorful. No question about that. And I guess we'll have to save that for a book. Yeah, we could save that for the next time. But uh, really appreciate uh, doing this with you guys and you guys taking time to do it. It's great to see you all. Great to see that you're doing okay and hanging in there and everybody's safe. And hopefully soon we're going to see the NHL restart Pete and we're going to see major league baseball finally get underway and maybe even eventually a bison season, but uh, great work today. And, and thanks again. Uh, great to go down the, the memory lane with you guys. And uh, I'm going to throw it back to Pat. who will uh, close things out for us. Thanks Mike for facilitating our conversation today. And thanks to Pete, Greg, Rosie, Ben and Duke for all joining us here in the Power Alley today. Stay tuned for future episodes as we'll keep you up to date on the very latest out of potential 2020 season, as well as look back at some of our favorite memories in the Bison's modern era. We'll talk to you next time. I'm Pat Melicaro in the Power Alley.